Welcome to The Real Deal, where we get real about what it takes to succeed. Whether it's wealth, health, relationships, or finding your purpose, we talk to the masters to uncover the secrets to defying the odds and creating your own rock star legacy. I'm Doug, and after working on multiple Grammy-winning records as an author, transformational speaker, and your personal translightenment coach, I'm committed to your growth and success. And now, here's the real deal. Today's episode of The Real Deal On is brought to you by GuidedHypnotic.com. Are you feeling stressed out? full of anxiety, maybe some trepidation and struggling with managing those set emotions, then download your free guided hypnotic meditation, guidedhypnotic.com. It's very yeah. cool. Yeah, sponsored by. All right. So welcome to The Real Deal On with my dear friend, Dr. Terry Wager, and I have a little bit to share about you. Success is a choice. People are in business to make money. Anyone that says any different is fooling themselves. Dr. Terry Wager is committed to his goal of generating 100 millionaires with his joint venture partners, and he wants you to become one of them. Terry holds a doctorate in psychology. He's a master hypnotist, speaker, high-performance coach, and business strategist. He'll show you how to integrate physiology, psychology, business strategy, and lifestyle so that you generate a million dollars in your life and business. Entrepreneurship can be a difficult life, and as you and your business grow, so do your challenges. Terry helps you develop a high-performance Jedi-like mindset and emotional state to command your space. He teaches you how to position yourself to gain ultimate influence and take intentional strategic action in every part of your life, generating wins for everyone. He insists on you committing yourself to being excessively obsessive and generating rapid results. You know you want success. You know you want results. Terry Terry provides 100% value personally and professionally to help you dominate your space. And of course, you'll be going to generatorcoaching.com to book an appointment to talk to Terry today. So, best, best intro you've had all day, right? It is the best intro I've had all day. And I got to say that I actually just took your intro, put my name in there, and then... Um, Done. <laughs> there you go. So, how the heck are you? Tell us about your yourself. I mean, we've known each other now for I guess a couple of years, and and we've Dude. become good friends, and we are on the the same path to helping people in all areas. And um, you know what I love about you and Christine. You guys work together. Heidi and I work together. It's just a, a great. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So share a bit about your story. How did you get into it? Because your story is pretty phenomenal. Um, when we met and I got to hear it, it was, I was blown away. Uh, well, it all started when I decided to drink as a kid. Um, <laughs> um, I, uh, I actually had a lot of trouble in my own life in my, in my um, grade school and high school and pretty much through early adulthood years. I didn't know how to freaking function with the rest of the world. Um, maybe autistic, I don't know. But uh, I just didn't get how to really relate to and connect with other people. And uh, it caused me to do a lot of drinking and it caused me to really just run my life off the rails. Um, 
and I had to do something different. Um, and all kinds of stuff was just coming down on me. And uh, I ended up in a 12 step program because I did not know how to live my life. I just did not plain and simple know how to live my life. And I know that a lot of people do pretty well at life. And I know a lot of people do pretty, you know, um, don't relate to that level of falling apart kind of stuff. But for me, that was my story and I'm sticking to it. Um, I, uh, I just did not know how to make things work. And everything that I tried to do just made it worse and made me disconnect further from people. And so I turned myself into a 12-step program, um, not like abracadabra, but I actually went in there is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, and so I uh, just went in there and I said, you know, I don't know how to live my life. I, I don't know how to do this. And it was that day that everything started changing. And I started listening and following some suggestions that were in that program. And I started actually um, seeing myself in a different way throughout those years. And about after, you know, I'm going to fast forward a lot, but after about two mm -hmm. years um, of starting to really understand the emotional component of people uh, in a different way and understand that what was going on with me was I didn't like myself and I was really reacting to my emotions. Um, and now I was actually starting to like myself and I was starting to be more intentional in my actions. Um, I realized that I was pretty good at helping people. And so I went to school for psychology. Um, and I was a, I was a line cook. I worked in a restaurant and I was about to go into management. And, uh, my chef was like, Hey, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just about to say, I want to be a sous chef and go through the thing. And out of wherever came out, I was like, I think I want to go to school and become a psychologist and help people. And I was like, and he was like, what? And I was like, and you had never had that thought before. I mean, no, um, not any conscious kind of idea. Yeah. But uh, it was just a boom out of the blue. And so I was like, and he's like, I think you ought to do that because you have a place here that you want. If you want, you can be here all your life, but you're really not happy. And maybe moving into a sous chef place, you might get happy, but you're not happy here and you're wasting your time. You are able to do stuff. I see it in you. And you can always be here. And so I was like, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to apply to school. And if I get in, I go. Three weeks later, I was in school. That's pretty Accepting. amazing. So when you made that decision, uh, you know, like my friend Frank would call that uh, a tap, you know, kind of the universe, God tapped you. Oh, yeah. How did you, was there any moment where you were thinking to yourself, maybe this isn't a good idea or do I really want to do this? Like, was there any of that conversation before, you know, signing on the dotted line as it were? There was, there was fear about what it's going to look like that I noticed, but really there was from the moment it came out of my mouth, I just knew that that was right. And my chef knew it was right. And he's like, he, when I talked to him later about it, he's like, you just changed as soon as you said that. It was weird. I just knew that you had to go do that. Very cool. And, you know, I, I still have a relationship with him, by the way. And one of my best friends at that place um, quit that business and he quit being a, a chef. And now he mows my lawn. He has a lawn care business. Mm -hmm. So I'm still connected to those people. And this was over 25 years ago or wow. about 25 years ago. No, over eh, somewhere around there. Um, but, uh, these people were integral in my life and they gave me a place to be as I had those two years in early recovery. And, you know, I was so grateful for them 
and I was are, afraid. Are they in recovery as well? No. no. Wow. Okay. They just gave me the space. Yeah. And I was so gracious because I mean I was a jerk there, and I was I was like antisocial, and and I don't mean like breaking shit and things like that, but I just didn't want to talk to people. I didn't think they liked me. I didn't really like them because they didn't like me. I had all that crap going on and I was raw nerves. And as I went through, I started actually starting to help people and I started to enjoy myself a little bit more. And then I made this change and I went to school and I decided to go to a small Christian school because I was pretty much a heathen and I didn't know how to have a contact with God and I didn't really understand God. And I grew up Catholic, but I hated that and I hated God. Um, cause I thought he hated me and I had all that crap going on. And, uh, I was just like, I got to do something different and I got to do something to infuse some kind of godlike thing in my life. And so I went to a Christian school and, uh, you know, it was a great education, very good education. And, um, I really liked a lot about it. And I even liked the going to, we had to go to this, um, uh, worship thing uh every morning it was just kind of weird but uh i remember going and going this is kind of weird because i usually can't stand this stuff but i don't mind it mm. i'm not like a full-on subscribed christian or anything and probably christians would say i'm not christian and I, I i don't have any opinion on that really i just whatever um i have my own satisfactory relationship with a higher power that i gained through um the program uh the 12-step program that i attended um and it really changed how I see the world and it changed how I see myself in the world. And it really helped me to learn how to be a human being and be a part of something. And were you attending, while you were attending school, were you also still uh, in the program? Yeah, I've, I've, I've about 24 years, 24 and a half years now. And I think there's probably about one year that I didn't really go at all. But I stay involved in it. And I, I used to go because I had to. Mm-hmm. And then I started going because I wanted to. And then I started going because I wanted to give back. Got it. And so now I go and I, I share with people and I'm there for them because they were there for me. Beautiful. Um, yeah, because that's sometimes when people are talking about their, their recovery and they've accomplished to the degree that you have, sometimes that part of their life kind of falls to the, the background and they're like, yeah, right. I'm not really attending meetings. I'm just, you know, and, and there's no judgment. It was just, a, it was really a, a yeah. curious and, and, question. And you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of debate in the program um, that I attend and, and the debate is basically like, you really should go because you got what you got. And you should give back. And then there's a debate that if you don't stay, you're going to go drink. And there's all these different fears and different opinions and all of that. And I stay above that. Um, I don't really have an opinion. And that's actually a principle that we're taught is to stay out of opinions on what other people should do. Right. And really don't, you know, that's not an argument or something that I need to get into because it really just um, goes against for me the principles of the program, which are to help others to achieve some kind of sobriety or, or um, substance-free life. And the truth is, is that the best way you can help is by be continuing to just be yourself and do what you're exactly. doing and, and be a shining light. Exactly. Um, and that's, man, yeah. I can't think and, of anything and, better to do. And that's what I did. And so, you know, I, I stay in the program because it gave me my life. Right. 
it gave me my life. And so I give life back to the people that are in there. Um, and it's, it's very much a reciprocal kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I still get a lot out of it because when I'm, when I do notice I'm stressed or I do notice that I got something going on, I go to that and I'm home and I just, it's, it's, uh, I, I used to say, especially when I first got hypnotized, um, or, and, and I first started to understand what hypnosis is, is that those 12 step meetings are a big hypnosis session mm -hmm. and they actually have an induction. They have a little script in the middle and then they have an, a closing where they bring everybody back out. And it's yeah. like, Oh, you know what? Actually everything is, but it was really apparent to me that this is there. There's a very big process in there that helps people to just de-stress, let go connect back to themselves and connect back to the group. And then they go out about their day and they just blow up again. Um, <laughs> well, here we go. I need another meeting. And, and it's, it's so funny because it happens all the time that um, you see people go in there. And, uh, right. Oh, I don't know what I was upset about. Jeez. I can't remember. Like you want to share, you know, what? I forgot what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. and so it's, it's really interesting in those rooms. Um, but enough about that. Uh, while I was going to school, um, I actually transferred from the little Christian college to USC, um, which is university of Southern California, not the other one that doesn't count. Um, South Carolina. That yeah, it? that's one. Okay. Uh, it doesn't count. It's okay. USC is Trojans. USC is USC. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I graduated from there with my undergrad degree and a real special thing is I dropped out of school before I ever went back to college because I thought I was too stupid. Um, I just, I didn't think I could do it back when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And so here, uh, a, a high school dropout graduates with, uh, you know, a insanely high average uh, for the school and really it doesn't take anything to keep going. Um, you know, I didn't study more than anybody else or anything like that I just applied myself and I really loved the information. I really loved understanding what was going on. And then I went to grad school. Um, about a year after that, in between that, I started working with severely emotionally disturbed kids. And I started really seeing that this emotion thing, I could relate to those kids so much because that was me. Mm. It was me. I, I didn't know how to regulate. I didn't know how to identify emotion. I didn't know, I didn't know emotions existed. I just knew things were screwed up. Uh, I almost swear. Um, and so I learned how, um, those emotions, I, I could see how they're playing with those people. Um, and so I was like, I got to learn more about this and I got to learn how to actually help people at a deeper level, which I had already, you know, I already made the commitment to go and become a, a doctor of psychology, but this just reinforced that. Yep. This is the right path for me. And I applied to two schools. I applied to a uh, California school of professional psychology and I applied to a school that is now closed because um, of money stuff, but uh, a school called Argosy university. And uh, I went to Argosy and I had the most amazing experience there. Um, the pr professor that ran the whole program was from the old Chicago school of professional psychology, which was huge um, uh, in psychology background and like some of the big names were connected to it and he was just amazing and i got a really really in-depth understanding of how to work with people on a real psychodynamic level 
and I got into attachment theory. I got into emotional regulation. And so um, it just was like, I get it. I, I see it so different now. And I see how we can actually help people make change in their whole life by addressing this one little thing that nobody knows about because they're unconscious. Mm. And so I started working um, in uh, community clinics. And, and as I went through, uh, I started realizing that I was pretty good at therapy and pretty good working with people and helping them move changes. Um, and then I had to go on my internship and it turned out that I ended up in a prison. Um, uh, well, when you say support. not as a, an inmate, of course, not as an inmate. Yes. Um, although with my drug and alcohol background, you would have ended up there anyway. There was not much difference. I didn't get caught. Yeah. Grace of God there. You know, I didn't get caught. Um, and I was like, but for the grace of God, there go I. And I could really relate to a lot of these guys because there's a lot of drug charges and a lot of bad mistakes out of being stupid um, on, on substances and stuff. But uh, again, those kids in that prison, when I say kids, they were 18, 19, ready to either go to prison or get out. Um, that was I mean, most of the community that you worked with? Yeah, yeah, 17, 18, 19-year-olds. Um, and then they'd go to the adult prison if they um, were... Uh, sentence for a long sentence. And there was a lot of, you know, people who were in for murder and um, uh, kidnapping and all kinds of different stuff that just, how does that happen? Well, it happens because people are out of control emotionally and they make very bad decisions. And so what did you notice from talking with people in that state? Uh, were there any similarities? Were there any, oh, yeah. you know, like, what did you, what were patterns you noticed? Patterns that maybe were well, inconsistent? The, yeah. The biggest thing um, the biggest thing I noticed is those kids were the same kids that I was dealing with when I was at USC. I had to see my thumb. Um, they, they were the same kids that I was dealing with the severely emotionally disturbed population. They just grew up and went to jail because they didn't know how to control themselves. And what you really see is people trying to control their outside environment and they try to manipulate their outside environment to get what they think their needs are met. And they're, they're not able to communicate what's going on with them. They're not able to say what's going on with them. And so they're really agitated and they blow up or they employed. Now, most of the people in prison, they, they blow up because mm -hmm. that's kind of the behavior and outside kind of, you know, the ones that implode end up in mental hospitals or end up in therapy rooms and things like that. And so they all go somewhere. But the ones I was dealing with were the exploders and, you know, they, they attack anybody. Um, and I had a lot of gang members that were in the gang because that's what they learned a lot of learned behavior. And um, I tell you what, those gang members were very, very good business guys. <laughs> they just couldn't control their emotions yeah. to not get themselves in more trouble. But they had, you know, even in the prison, they had a whole system dialed in and how to get people what they want and all kinds of contraband and, and you know, uh, uh, an economy of the prison. And you, you see stuff like that in, in, in TV stuff. It's true. It's absolutely true. They get more shit in that prison than I could. Um, <laughs> how does that happen? Um, but, you know, they come up with cell phones. They come up with freaking Subway sandwiches. Like, how'd you get that? Um, <laughs> well, and, and as you're talking, I'm, you know, I don't have that level of experience in, in jails, in prisons, but I do, you know, Heidi and I were working in the treatment world. And one of the things that we noticed, and I wonder if it's the, the same, is while they have a rough exterior, 
that really they're some of the most sensitive, the most caring, the most loving people that just unfortunately bought into some non-resourceful strategies that were, you know, not sustainable and then brought them into either the prison real or the prison of addiction. Right. Um, right. But it's, you know, and, it and sounds and similar. The reality is, and you know this because you work with, with people who don't have addiction stuff is the prison isn't necessarily addiction or the prison isn't the prison. The prison is our limiting beliefs. The prison is our, our fears. The prison is how we experience the world as uh, dominating us in some way. Right. And, uh, and that's, that's the major thing is they were dominated by their own emotions and then they try to control the outside world to dominate themselves or try to change themselves and they couldn't do it. And you're right. They, they are, they are the same people as the people that we have relationships with that we care about and that care about us. They just have been so protected for so long by their own way of trying to survive that they have really poor protective strategies is what I call them. And so they protect themselves by harming and they don't mean to, but it's like either me or you, sorry, didn't mean to, but sorry. Well, and that goes into some, yeah, some NLP, all behavior has positive intent. Exactly. And, and, you know, I, I firmly believe that there is a lot of positive intent and I mean, I, I've worked with all kinds of different stuff, including sexual abuse and things like that. And it, when you really look at it, instead of run away from it and go, oh my God, they're terrible. No, they're not terrible. They're human. And they had something going on. They told themselves a story after they got emotionally triggered. And then they acted on that story because they didn't know how not to. And when you identify the emotion and you turn off that triggered emotion the behavior goes away. And so really helping people learn how to identify what's going on with them really turns that behavior off really. And, and the, the coping mechanism or the strategy with which they're protecting themselves goes away. They don't have to need for it anymore because they're not triggered. You know, it's so funny as you share that, I think, you know, it's all, besides the, the work we do, the style of work we do, the, the idea that if you could help someone in prison, you could definitely help someone in, you know, their business, you know, same thing with me is like, you know, with Heidi and I, man, if we could help people in, you know, through addiction, you know, and create a life worth being sober for and do that, then we can help you with your business, with your personal life uh, because it's, it's all the same stuff. It's just the, the, the degree of impact those choices have because ultimately it's an addiction anyway, from, from my perspective, right. you know, we get addicted to the story, we get addicted to the drama, we get addicted to the chaos and we even get addicted to the States, right? Even if we go into the neurobiology of it all and how it affects our, you know, it's on a cellular level. Um, but I, you know, I really want to honor you for taking that shift and I moving from, you know, transforming your life, reinventing yourself to help, you know, a different group of people, which is not to say the other people don't deserve need or right. have access to, you know, it's, it was a stage of your life, stage of our life too. Right. And, you know, for, for me, I was at the prison as uh, an intern 
And so I was actually doing this work as an intern. And they're like, I, I just thought they picked me because it's like, hey, man, this guy is freaking awesome. Let's put him with the really worst of the worst of the worst of the worst down in that 23 and one lockdown where the most violent offenders are. Let's put him there. And I was like, hey, look at that. They know that I'm pretty good, right? And my ego is all telling me how great I am. And then when I looked at all of the other interns that were there, there was about uh, 11 of us. I was the only guy that was my age that was in that kind of situation that could handle the, the agility that might be needed in that area. And then there's, you know, small girls, old people. And, you know, there's, there's two or three that were – um, 55 plus that, that were, were interns or that were working yeah, at interns, interns. Wow. And so, um, when I looked around, I was like, Oh man, it's not because I could do it. It's not because I'm awesome. It's because I was probably the best choice at that point. Cause these old people might get hurt. Um, <laughs> like, well, that's a blow to my ego. Um, <laughs> or, or could it have been simply been, there was a need. Um, Yes. And, and it's just, it's, it's funny when I look back on it, I was like, you know, I, I think my ego got me there. It wasn't necessarily because uh. I'm the greatest in the world. Um, and, and really it's that right sizing that, you know, I am good. I'm great. I'm mm -hmm. really good at what I do, but you know, there's other factors too. Maybe I should look at those. Um, and <laughs> yeah, well rounded kind of look. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, the, the interesting thing that you were saying is, um, when I was in the prison working, I was really wanting to know if the changes I was making with these guys were because uh, they're just so needing change or is it, can I work with other populations? And so I started working with other populations and I, I, I actually um, ended up moving to Oregon from California, uh, working in the prison for a little while in there. And then um, as I, as I moved out, I moved into a private practice and I started working with a private practice group. Um, and you know, I arrived, I finally got my own private practice. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. There was no real challenging kind of thing. And I was dealing with people who were depressed and lonely and not wanting to really change. And they just wanted to come and talk to me. And I really didn't want to do that. I want, I, I really loved the energy and the, the, um, confrontation that was in the prison. Um, I think I missed Mace a little bit. Um, and there's, there's a lot of different things. An acquired that, taste. Right. Um, you put it on your sandwich. Um, but, uh, I just missed that energy. And then I started getting business people in uh, to the private practice that were stressed out and, you know, doing deals and not knowing how to manage their emotions around that. And they, they just stressed out. They can't sleep. And I'm like, you know, it's not that you're stressed out and you can't sleep. It's that you're not identifying what's going on with you. And what I noticed is these guys were the same as the prison guys mm -hmm. with healthier, effective behaviors then the other guys, they weren't, the, the business people weren't doing things wrong to people, but they still had the same strategy of stuffing their emotions, of not identifying what's going on, and just trying to freaking control shit. And so they were doing the same thing. And so I was like, I can fix that. I can help you with that. And I started getting rid of their stress and helping them to really identify in a different way. I helped them to identify their emotions and their businesses start growing. And then they start asking me about what I would do in their, in their situation with their business or in, in their situation with their conflict. And so I started doing a little conflict management. I started doing a little bit of um, uh, negotiating and telling them how I might negotiate a deal. And then they started coming more and more and I'm getting paid 150 an hour 
to give these guys high level business advice. And then, you know, I heard of Tony Robbins. I didn't know who he was. Um, and you know, this is for him. What? 11 and 12. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> um, of course. you know, I, I heard of him as the guy on TV at night that, that was, uh, really good with motivation, but I, I just, you know, whatever, he's not a doctor. <laughs> um, and then I actually, uh, started realizing that he's making millions of dollars doing the same thing I am. And I'm making 150 an hour. Somebody's doing it right. Not me. And so I was like, I want to find out a little bit more about this guy. Um, and so I watched the thing and I got really jealous. Absolutely. I hate that guy. All of his stuff is right. At the same time, I do that too. And I've got this and he's got this, you know, I'm sitting there going, I need to, I need to do that. And so I just, well, let's get a timeline on that. You got, you went to school, mm -hmm. you, how, how many years in, in the, did it take you to do the school? Cause you went to two, was it four 11, years? 10 or 11. Um, 10, 11 from, years from, from, from the time I started my undergraduate course, because I started my undergraduate school, I'd never gone to college before I dropped out. And so, so, so you had to make up for all that. Okay. At 28, I started school and at 38, 38, I graduated or 39, I graduated 38. I went to started working in the prison. Okay. And then, and you were there for a couple of years interning in prisons for three years in California and then one here. Okay. And then you started at an, at a, a practice. Yeah, I built my practice. I built it to a $200,000 practice um, in about a year and a half. Okay. And how and long did you do that before you decided? I did that for about three or four years. Obamacare kicked in and I lost a lot of money through insurance because I had a lot of private pay, but then everybody wanted to use their insurance. Yeah. And so I just watched my, watched my bottom line dwindle as I had all of these people that didn't really want to change. And then I had um, these other people that really did. And this is about 2016 when I just went... I am not going to work with mental mental health anymore. Mm -hmm. um, number one, I don't believe it. I don't believe mental health is really what it is. I believe it's an emotional fitness thing, not a mental health issue. We're all mentally crazy when we're not identifying our emotions. Right. When we're not emotionally okay. Our thinking is screwed up. Right. Well, yeah, you know, one of my models is, you know, and I don't know, I know, I know we've discussed it a little bit is when we brought it up already is that I believe that oftentimes people who are diagnosed as clinically depressed are just simply addicted to depression. Right. And I believe that there's just self-pitying. Um, yeah. I mean, they're just sitting in their shit <laughs> and anxious people are just afraid um, of what might happen. And so they just have the dreaded what ifs going on. They sit there Oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? What happens? And, and those anxious people continue on this path and trajectory of what if, what if, what if, and they back away from what they're wanting to do, or they go way too hard at it. And then they end up in self-pity because things aren't working out. Mm -hmm. And so you have this anxious, depressed kind of thing. And for me, those are both behaviors that we created for ourselves because we're not identifying emotion. Mm -hmm. And then it's it reinforced when you go to somebody else and they go, oh, wow, that's messed up. You, oh, yeah, me too. That's effed up. Yeah. And then it, it turns into a psycho-cybernetic loop that we're both feeding each other in, in right. that model. Right. Yeah. And, and I saw, I, you know, and I, I had therapists working for me a little bit um, and I started to grow the practice. And I noticed that a lot of the therapists that I hung out with and that I knew um, all kind of fed into keeping people in a mental health model. And I didn't 
like that. One of my mottos for anybody that came in my room was, you're okay, you just don't know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're NLP okay presupposition. You ain't broke. Yeah, you just don't know it. You're listening to your head too much. Shut up. Stop listening to you and start listening to somebody who has a plan for you to change. And the, the people that were my business people love that. And the other people like, oh, my God, he said that. I'll stay because I kind of see what he's saying, but eh, I don't really want to do it. And so um, I actually referred all my mental health people, and I kept uh, four clients. <laughs> you know, I had, I had a full practice. I, I just, I'm not doing that anymore. And I kept four clients. I raised their prices, and they started paying me what I was worth um, or, or, you know, closer to what I was worth. Um, my prices are much different now, but, uh, or, or the level of investment is much more now. Uh, but, uh, the whole idea is these people knew that this was helping them to make change in their life and grow their business. And they saw the value in it. And the other people did not see the value in getting rid of what was going on with them. They had more value in keeping the mental health label. And I just couldn't subscribe to that. And so gone move this way. And so well, so talk about that reinvention, that renewing of the mind, the, those trade because that's kind of the, the purpose of the show is to, you know, like look at someone's path, right? And then look at the obstacles and then how do they overcome them? Well, some of these are pretty significant. And when you have a business and I get it, you were pushed into it because of the, you know, the insurance wasn't paying and your accounts receivables were going down and all of that. But that was, that was just a thing. It was really that I really was excited about the other people that I was working with. And I had a conversation with Christine. She was still working for Starbucks at the time. And I had a conversation with Christine. I was like, I just hate this. I hate going and trying to help people that don't want to help themselves. You know, in the, in the uh, 12 step communities, they go in there, they're beat up, they want to change. In the prison, they're beat up, they want to change. In a private practice where people actually come in of their own volition, they didn't want to change. But the business people did. Because they saw it as an investment. Like what would be like for you, the motivators that you witnessed? Yeah, the business people wanted to grow their profits. They, they wanted to grow their business. They had a, a major goal that they were unrelentingly wanting to hit. The other people had the goal of feeling better and they just wanted to feel better. And I just want to, I just want the pain to stop. It's like, well, stop doing what you're doing. I, I, don't know. I, I just want the pain to go away. And they wanted a friend and they wanted to talk and they wanted to do this. And, and don't get me wrong. I, a lot of my clients made a lot of progress in, in the mental health kind of thing. It just didn't feed me. Mm -hmm. They were getting, they were getting results. It just wasn't feeding me the way that, I know. And when I have a little phrase that comes out that I know I'm ready for a change and I've known it since I first got sober. If this idea occurs to me, I know I need to make a change. And it goes like this. I didn't get sober for this. Mm. And if that pops into my mind, I'm on the wrong path. And it just pops out of nowhere. Just as much as I said, I think I want to be a psychologist. It just goes, I didn't get sober for this. Oh shit. Uh-oh. And that's my, you know, big red flag that I need to make a shift. How many times has that come up for you? About seven. Very cool. So you like that moment when it's a subtle thing, but once it happens, it just, whoa, hey. And it's just like, look, you didn't get sober. This is not what you had in mind. And so 
And how big of a shift when like seven times, were they only about uh, business and about, you know, your profession or is it also in a personal life area? I, 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 I got into a relationship and knew I didn't really like her about two months in. Um, and then I married her, uh, and you know, um, about eight years into the relationship and me trying to be a good guy committing to a relationship. And I was afraid of commitment and I wasn't afraid of commitment. We didn't match up. Mm Mm-hmm. But I had this idea. My head was telling me that if I quit, I'm a quitter and I'm, I'm running away and I was reading it wrong. And I wasn't necessarily talking about this with uh, some of my mentors and, and I didn't have a whole lot of mentors in that relationship. I started realizing the value of having people in my life uh, about that. Um, you know, I, I had, you know, the 12 step sponsors and stuff, but um they kind of fall into the, you know, you, you don't want to give up. You don't want to just run away from stuff. And so um, I had some maybe not so great advice and I really thought it was a commitment thing for a while. Cause I convinced myself of that, but really we just didn't line up and we didn't, we didn't have the same goals. We didn't have the same ambitions. She didn't like people and I love people. Um, she didn't want to grow. I want to grow feverently, um, you know, fe- fever, fervently. Um, right. And so, <laughs> Um, the tongue doesn't work sometimes. Um, and so I was the bestest in my English class anyway. So <laughs> I was too. <laughs> I was the most goodest, most goodest, bestest ever. And so, um, I really wanted, uh, something different and, you know, it just, you know, I can get sober for this relationship and to work this hard to enjoy something that I don't enjoy. And so I, was it amicably. Uh-huh. Are you still, are you still in touch with her? Like, do you still talk? Not really. Um, she just, she went so far her own way. Um, right now she lives probably about 30 minutes away. And I never, um, right. if I saw her, I'd be totally, Hey, how you doing? Um, right. no problem. She would be too. Communication. But, um, we, we decided to get the divorce and we signed the papers and three weeks later it was done. I mean, right. absolutely nice. done. It was just gone. So um, question, have you ever had that thought and not acted? Uh, yeah. Um, with her a few times thinking that it's a commitment thing. And so it's was like, I didn't get sober. I didn't get sober. You know, I better pay attention to this. And so, yeah, there's, there's, I don't want to, I don't want to make change. I mean, the change sucks, you know, change is hard, change is scary. And so the reality is, is I get stubborn sometimes and I don't listen, but when it hits me that hard in the face, like I, I got to change. And I mean, it starts off as a little, you know, quiet whisper, really. And when I really think about it, like, you know, this isn't where you want to go. This isn't the way you want to go. This is, ah, you didn't get sober. Oh yeah. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. Make a change. And as soon as that's loud enough that I'm like, oh, okay, I got, I got to make this change. And so. That's um, a beautiful thing that you can recognize that because some people don't have that. Now, curious, just now on a personal level, just wondering at first, not that, it, so the, the whisper, was there a moment at the beginning of that relationship or in any other area of your life that you look back and you go, oh, that was the precursor to you didn't get sober for this. Like, do you know what those little voices are before it becomes that? Well, yeah. I mean, that, that relationship was a good example because it's like, you know, she likes me, but what she's doing is a little annoying. What she's doing, I don't really like. Um, you know, and, and 
the different people saying different things about what they noticed about how we interacted or, or I, I, I interacted with people and she didn't, she, she wouldn't come with me. She wouldn't, she, she didn't, she didn't like me to hang out with people. And, you know, I was, I was dismissing a lot of that. And, and I think that's a very familiar and very uh, normal thing for us to do is this is important to me. So I'm going to dismiss every uh, flag that I see because really this is very important. And we start dismissing a lot of these different things out of our life that are really flags and they're probably red and they're probably saying, don't do that. And we do it anyway and we get more miserable and more anxious and more. And I'm going to hallucinate that that just doesn't happen in relationships. Oh no, no, no. I mean, it happens in business. It could happen. Yeah. But no, it happens in business and it was happening in my private practice. I was like, you know, I don't like the way this is going. I don't want, this isn't what I had in mind. I'm not making the money I wanted. I'm I'm running a business and it's going well as far as running a business, but it's just not developing the way I want it to. And I'm not developed. I'm living in a freaking box room and, you know, I, I don't have any windows because that's what, that's what they had available to build out what I wanted. And it's like, I'm in this little cave helping one person at a time when I'm watching people like Tony Robbins affect hundreds. And I have that ability and I know I do. And so, you know, and Tony Robbins is the only one like, you know, T. Harv Ecker and, and you and, and the other people that I know and, and, you know, our coaches and the people that we know in, in the, in the world of, uh, professional development or personal development is like, we all have that ability. Why am I hiding in an office showing one person at a time this information instead of going on a larger scale? Beautiful. So share that, that transformation that you, you made that decision. You're like, okay, you know, Tony and all these guys are out there. They're doing great work. What was the next, what were the next steps for you to start chipping away at what may be holding you back. What did you add to start, you know, moving you up? Um, really, I was, I didn't know how to break in. I didn't know how to get into what Tony Robbins was doing or, or, or basically seminar work or stage work or anything. I'd never been to a seminar. I'd never done that. I, I, I didn't learn how to ride a bike at one or anything like that. Um, I didn't have that experience. I had academic. And so if you want to grow in academia, you go and become a professor. And I don't want to be a professor. That's boring. You got to put that sweater, the sweaters on or the the coat with the sleeve things. And I just, my my elbows don't like sleeves like that. Um, And so I was like, I want to do something and I want to do something that's exciting and put myself out there. And I don't know what to do, but I was trained in hypnosis I did get trained in hypnosis in my private practice because um, I, I really liked the effect and I had a, a experience with one person that I hypnotized uh, by trying to get them to calm down and they just went, I'm like, holy shit, this works. Did you didn't use a hammer? No, no. I just huh. said, pretend you have a candle in front of me and blow at it. And she's like, okay, one more time. Really focus, really focus. She went, I was like, uh-huh the hell happened and so i went and um found the worst person in the world to uh teach me how to hypnotize people and it was a bad experience but i was convinced that it was good and somebody else could teach me better and i found them um and so i got trained but then i saw 
um, a guy named Anthony Gailey uh, do a hypnosis show and a talk all in one. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And so it was my first seminar I went to and he was teaching people how to do a keynote speech with a hypnosis show. And I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. Amazing. And he showed us exactly how to market to put a keynote speech out there to do as a hypnotist. And I didn't know how to do stage hypnosis. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I'm missing something here. And so um, I started going around and talking to some of the people and, and, and some of my friends. And uh, I ran into a guy who actually lives 30 minutes from me who was at the same training. And so we started hanging out and he was going to teach me stage hypnosis. And then he's like, you know what? You got to go down to um, the Oregon State Fair. There's this real cool guy, Mark, and you should go check him out. And so I went there and freaking hilarious show. Awesome stage presence. Wonderful guy. You've met him. Yeah, um, he's going to be on the show. And uh, I was like, this guy, he didn't know this at the time. He knows a little while later. But I go, this guy is going to teach me how to do what he does. And so I went up to him after. I'm like, you're amazing, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, uh, yeah, I, I don't teach anybody how to do this. And I was like, well, you're going to teach me. And he's like, no, nah, no. Nah. And uh, so I'm like. So no, then he told them, all right, imagine you're blowing out a candle. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to teach me. Um, but anyway, he's like, I'll help you in any way I can. Um, come check out my seminar in a couple of days. And so I was like, he probably tells that to everybody. And so um, I ended up going to the seminar and he was doing a weight loss seminar uh, in Salem, Oregon, which basically nobody wants to lose weight there. Um, and he did a great seminar and he, he showed me that seminars can actually make money. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. I had the friggin' wrong model for sure. Cause he just pulled what I make in, in two weeks out of a room in one hour. And so like, whoa. Um, and so I was like, you got to teach me how to do this. And he's like, I'll help you any way I can. I'm not doing that. And so I badgered him for like nine months and he gave me little things to do, but he wouldn't teach me. Uh, he'd He'd have me do scripts and teach me how to do scripts and teach me how to, how to, um, uh, put recordings together that you could sell in the back of the room because it's like, if you're going to do this, you got to have something to sell. You have something that they want to take away from, uh, take away with them. They want bring a piece of you away. And I was like, oh, I never thought of that. And so I just became a student of him and student of, of how he did business. And I was like, this is really cool. I like this. And so I ended up um, wearing him down and he took me out on the road and I did eight weeks on the road in front of, you know, 500 to a thousand people in Orange or not Orange County, um, uh, San Diego at the Del Mar Fair. And um, we went to another place and I got on stage the first time. The other place was Victorville. It had like 15 people in the eyes. It's terrible. But he's like, if you could do a show here, you could do a show anywhere. And he's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I go and, and do the show and he's like, you want to do it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> he's like, you, come on, come on. You're going to do it. And so I get out there and I'm like, ah, ah. Uh, I finally got the script out and I finally got these guys. Okay. You're going to, uh, you're going to do this thing and you're going to get up. And, and it was just the worst ever. And he's like, here's the good thing about that. You're never going to be that bad again. And so, um, I just started getting better and he, you know, he'd make fun of everything that I did and then point out a couple of things that in a good way and, and mm-hmm. made me feel appreciated that I was even trying. And then, you know, call me down a lot and then had me just add one little thing to my performance every, every day that we did the shows. And then, 
um, through that, I learned how to do a really solid show. Now I do them. Well, amazing, I mean, amazing experience. And that's uh, great. And when we have Mark on, you know, I should chat about that, but that speaks volumes about him that yeah. he, you know, would share his resources yeah. like that to go, Hey, here's a crowd that I basically got us yeah. into. Yeah. Um, oh, I was so scared. And, and most of my fear of the crowd was, I was afraid that I was going to damage his reputation by taking me on. <laughs> and, right. and you got to remember, I, that's how my head talks to me. Sometimes I'm a freaking doctor of psychology and I'm afraid that I'm going to ruin his deal. Well, and, and you bring up a, a great point that I think all too often we see someone make it look easy, make it look good. And we forget that they're human as well and that they have those thoughts and that they have, you know, they don't maybe display it the same way. <laughs> they have different strategies to be sure. And they're still human. And he reminded me that every day I've been doing this for 20 or 30 years. I've been, you know, I think, I think 20, just keep him young. Um, I've been doing this for 15 years. I know what I'm doing and you're new and you're trying to compare what you're learning right now to my expertise. You got to give yourself time. And it just, it was so inviting and welcoming and reminding me that, oh, you know, not everybody's at the same place, even though we're learning the same things, even though we've learned the same things. And I noticed that with the, the different uh, psychology interns with me, I was at a different place than them. And I mm -hmm. was on a higher level than them. I had a lot of experience that, of change and growth and acceptance of things that I can't change and understanding the difference because of my experience in, in the 12-step programs. And so I was and am in a different place than a lot of people when I, when I walk into this to the room. Um, but I still, one of the questions I always ask myself because I learned this years and years ago is how am I reading this room wrong? Because my head tells me stories. Mm -hmm. My head tells me that uh, there's a danger in terror. It tells me that's a fear. And so I really listen to me and have a relationship with my fear about what's going on. And then I can walk through it and I teach people how to do that. And I really teach people how to, instead of try to fight with themselves or control themselves or to try to stamp out or push down the emotions. No, let them out, identify them, and then have that conversation with yourself. You know, it might look a little crazy, but be okay with the fact that you're frightened and that you're excited and that you want to move forward and you don't know how. And then take the guidance of the other people from where they're successful and use them to learn how to be successful yourself. And that's one thing I like about you and uh, uh, the other people in our community that really help each other out you know and our friend Walter freaking amazing he's inviting everybody to help out and to have the same journey of of helping people grow and you know Paul Fink I, I met him through Mark and I, I started being coached by Paul in sales and in putting programs together and I'm like you know um, this is right after I got trained by Mark and I'm like I'm thinking maybe about a, a solid year and then I can get up and do uh, do a seminar and, and sell from the stage and he's like I got a thing coming up in three months. You're going to do it. Yeah. And it wasn't that direct, but pretty damn direct. Mm -hmm. I, I think you should do it. You know, I think you should do it. What's holding you back? Why are you stopping yourself? And so three months later, I sold from the stage and I, I did pretty well considering the, the parameters and all. And I, I actually sold my program. Um, and I was like, I had no idea. Now I'm doing that thing that I wanted to do three years ago that I didn't act on for two of it. And then I get involved with a little bit of stage show, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And 
within three months from saying that I want to do it in a year, I already did it. And now I do things like this and I do, uh, do different seminars and I do different, um, speaking events and it, I love it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. And, uh, I was so nervous in the beginning because my head tell, tells me, you know, it's going to be bad. I remember one of the first stage shows I did for hypnosis. Um, I'm sitting there going, I think I probably get out of here before anybody notices I'm gone. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I hear that voice, but you know, the door's right there. You could probably just run. <laughs> and I'm like, probably good. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm going to just try this out instead. Um, and, and then thanks for sharing. And I think I could be here. And really it's, it's that, allowing myself to have that fear and make fun of myself with it and, and tease me about it a little bit and do the scary thing anyway. Well, and that's so true. And, and it's our relationship with mm-hmm. our emotions as mm-hmm. it were. And yeah. sometimes we'll even notice people think that certain emotions are helping them and it, it may to a point, but then they keep using that same emotion and it right. keeps them stuck as it were. And I know that's, that's the work that we, you know, we, we both do. And it's this first step as you shared, is that awareness? Mm-hmm. Like what's going on? And, and, you know, yeah. if you could have that voice that, you know, when that speaks time to make a change, man, you're, you're blessed. Totally. And, and the cool thing is, is like, I can tell the difference between the, the voices. I didn't get sober for this versus the voice oh my god we're gonna run and it's like right you know the pressured agitated it's all run. it's all the relationship and that yeah right. it's, yeah and so i can tell which person is talking to me and and i write about this in my book um and my book is called quit taking your own bad advice how to stop overthinking and follow in the brilliance of others um and it's really because that's been my path i've mm-hmm. always since i started making changes i started following the brilliance of others and really the fact of the matter is is i followed other people before that it just wasn't very brilliant and wasn't very safe um, and so, well, yeah, choose, <laughs> you know, one of the things I like to say is, is, uh, you know, find someone who's normal is what you aspire to <laughs> and just hang out with them. Right. right. And that's, that's what I do. I hang around with the people who have more and, and know how to get where I want to go. And I use them as models. I use them as mentors. I use them as coaches. And I firmly believe in spending whatever you have to, as long as you're not making yourself broke to get that training that you want, because without actually going all in, you're not going to get what you look for. Well, and it's not just about the finances. It's about the, the time and energy that sometimes, you know, you don't want it to be shelf help where right. you make the investment and then you don't apply. Um, right. And that's where, that's where the, the idea of enrolling with a coach and so forth is so valuable because they're going to help hold you to that standard um, yeah. and be able to be that guidance. Like, oh, okay, okay, I see what you're doing. And, and here's, I did that before and here's where that led me. Let's look right. at here some other. Right. Options. And you, you bring up an interesting point that um, I'm very, very clear on with a lot of the people that I work with, everybody I work with, but a lot of the people that I'm, that I'm joint venturing with is I am not an accountability coach. Right. I will not be an accountability coach. I will not hold you accountable for your desire. If you have it, you're going to get it. I will show you how to take the steps to get what you want, but I will not babysit you. I will not coddle you. 
I will not sit there and wait for you to do it. I'll wait for you to do it. I will not make you do it or badger you because you're not doing it. You just don't get that with me because the fact of the matter is it doesn't work and it separates the, it separates the relationship because then they start avoiding because they don't want to hear how bad they are or how they're not following through or they're not doing these things. And it's their own stuff that is causing them. And so for me, instead, I'm a progress partner. If you're not making progress, I want to talk to you about what's getting in your way because it is not about not following through and not being a good person because you're not integrity and you don't, you're not following through. It's all about 100% about something unconsciously is blocking you from what you really want. And I will help you remove it. Amen, brother. So as we're wrapping up, how can uh, someone, if they want to work with you and learn more about you, how can they get in touch with you? generatorcoaching.com is my website. Go there. There's all kinds of little buttons that say, let's talk. Um, you can in <laughs> all kinds of two or three. I have a couple of giveaways on there too. And you can get on my email list to see what's going on. And um, sometimes I've got really cool stuff. Uh, right now I have a giveaway of uh, 11 uh, costly business mistakes. And I think I have a ditch your stress manual and shows you how to get rid of a lot of stress that you don't need. Um, and uh, that's on my website. And then info at generatorcoaching.com. You get a hold of me that way. Um, there, and on my Facebook, um, which is facebook.com slash generatorcc. Um, and if you can't get a hold of me in those ways, you can get a hold of Doug and he, he knows how to get a hold of me. Um, and I'll just give him yeah, your cell number. Yeah, yeah. I'll give him my cell number. It's 971-400-5544. Call me there. <laughs> Whatever I try to make myself available because the fact of the matter is, is change is possible for anyone who wants to take the chance. And the fact of the matter, uh, another fact is that people were there for me when I was down in the dumps, when my life was destroyed, people were there for me. And then when I wanted to grow, people were there for me. Yeah. So I make myself available and I will be there for anyone who wants to be there for themselves. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much. I love you guys. I love you and Christine for who you are and you. who you aren't. Um, and we will, uh, we will see you shortly. And yeah, if anyone needs Terry and Christine, generatorcoaching.com, reach out and they will help you out. Yes. God bless you, brother. I'll see you soon. All right, man. Thank, <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by and hanging with us. And remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast right here. And we look forward to serving you even more. Remember, download your free guided hypnotic meditation at guidedhypnotic.com. That's guidedhypnotic.com where you'll get your free anxiety-busting meditation. We look forward to serving you, and if you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out. All right, we love you for who you are and who you aren't. God bless.